Hey, Tubes, it's your old buddy Bucho. Just dropping in here before we launch to let you know that there is a very brief lore spoiler for The Mandalorian dropped by your trusty pal Robbie from the 29 minute 27 second mark to the 29 minute 37 second mark. And with that, let's climb aboard with our very special guests, Hope and Chris from J Guys and Jedi, for a very special Clone Wars Season 7 recap episode of Send in the Clones. So, that went well, all things considered. You two certainly haven't changed. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? Come on, I have a surprise for you. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, Buto and Robbie once again welcome Elite Clone Wars podcast duo Hope and Chris from J Guys and Jedi, the classiest podcast in the galaxy, onto the dropship for a super special action finale season 7 wrap up mission! Hey, Tubes, it's your old buddy Buccio, a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars next to me in the dropship. He's watched the first six seasons of the Clone Wars three whole times. He's the Obi Wan to my Anakin. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. That ain't all troops because joining us in the dropship for a second time, we have a couple of elite clone troopers, elite Clone Wars operatives, I should say, from the classiest podcast in the galaxy, J Guys and Jedi, singular, not Jedi's, as I probably said 12 times the last time we recorded, from Atlanta in the Georgia system. She's the Ahsoka to my Stella. It's Hope Mullinax. And from Rochester in the New York system. He's the sexy Yoda to my wet blanket window. It's Chris Honeywell. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hello. And oh, yes, there was even some wet blanket window in season seven. I was so happy to see it. <laughs> it sure was. And we are here to talk about season seven of the Clone Wars, or at least we're going to take season seven of the Clone Wars as kind of a home base for the conversation. I'm sure we'll tangent and range all over the joint. I do have some questions jotted down, but overall, this is going to be a pretty loosey-goosey sort of chit-chat. So let's get straight into it. Of course, we had four episodes, the Bad Batch arc, in which we met a set of elite clone trooper operatives, and we also got to re-meet our trusty pal Echo again. Now, I know a little bit about what Hope has thought about some of these episodes from reading Geeky Girl Experience, but let's start with you, Chris. How did you like that Bad Batch arc as a whole? Were you a fan of what they did with Echo and how they brought him back? And how did you like that Bad Batch? I honestly can't tell you how happy it was. Like, watch it, like just watching the first episode and seeing it just begin like it normally used to. And... At first blush, I thought the the Bad Batch were kind of like roughly drawn like characters, and I was like, okay, they're a little cartoony. But instantly, that just grew on me, and uh, and then I started realizing, man, they're putting a lot of they they put a lot of time and effort into making this look beautiful, and it was just sort of that first arc. It had a lot of payoff and sort of intensity to it but it also just sort of felt like 
Clone Wars had started up again and was just sort of running along in a story arc like it normally would and introducing new characters. And it was like being in a time machine. But at the same time, it was applying all the dread of, you know, they're sort of in the end run for most of these characters and things are going to get really bad. And it set it set that mood without it being this crushing the crushing feeling of doom that it that it would develop towards the end like it sort of mirrored the dynamics of episode three of you know in a way sort of started out at adventurous with a fun battle with the you know with all these new clones that are sort of mutants just shredding through droids and destroying things and it's a lot of fun but there's the press of doom coming constantly you know and little touches like anakin talking to padme and stuff like that it, it was it was wonderful chris actually messaged me when he first started watching the episode and he was like 10 seconds in 10 seconds in, he just he messaged me platitudes we have platitudes <laughs> <laughs> he's like i haven't even started i haven't even watched the rest of the episode but we have sexy yoda platitudes i'm happy <laughs> Yeah, yeah. we should say, uh, for anyone who hasn't been following along with Chad Guys and Jedi, you two chose not to cover these episodes episode by episode because you are still doing your Rebels run on Jad Guys and Jedi. So there are certain things, like you were just saying, the platitudes and the sort of episodic nature rather than the serial nature of the Clone Wars being different from Rebels. It was a bit of an adjustment. It was coming back to something that you had, a mode that you had shifted out of. Yeah, um, very much so, because one of the big part of our show was our Sexy Yoda stuff, but that came out of having Sexy Yoda reading the Platitudes for Clone Wars episodes and adding in bed at the end, but there's no Platitudes in Rebels, so we've had to kind of shift that segment, but we were both very excited <laughs> to see the Platitudes, because we were just like, yeah, Sexy Yoda's gonna get his Platitudes We got again. structure for, then- for Yoda. <laughs> And, and the fun thing is the Bad Batch arc actually has two sets because the original animatics that were released in 2015 had different platitudes than what was released this season. So we actually have like two sets of platitudes for Yoda when we actually get to the Bad Batch after Rebels. So, Plus, tra- traditionally, all the shows that we've gone over are sort of we've already seen them and processed them and then we're sort of coming back to them. So if we did it live as they were coming out, every show would have just been hoping I'd go and like, oh my god, oh my god, did you see when this happened? Yes, when this happened. And there would, it would be a different level of commentary on it. So sure, we sure. figure yeah. it's it's better that it sinks in. We'll go back, watch it again. I mean, I'm sure Hope's already gone back and watched them again, but I'm saving them for the show. But honestly, I can't wait to go back and watch it again. Yeah, I've, I've watched each episode twice. A um, couple of them I've watched three times now. <laughs> but yeah, it's something very exciting because we, we were going to do Resistance after we finished Rebels. But we've decided that we are going to do Clone Wars first because it's only going to be nine weeks for us because we're going to do the, all four Siege of Mandalore episodes together as one movie. Hmm. Yeah, Robbie and I both enjoyed the Bad Batch arc. The one bone of contention we had was that I didn't like Crosshair, but Robbie <laughs> thought they were all good, right, Robbie? I just thought Crosshair was such a such a nerf herder to our favorites, you know? Oh, five oh first guys that I didn't like Crosshair. He was. They were the Gimli Leglass dynamic. When I rewatch it, maybe I'll pick it up that way. 
But Robbie loved all of them, eh, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, I had watched the animatics before, I mean, like, way back when. So I was really familiar with the story. So for me, it was more of picking up what's new and then how, again, the as you said, Chris, the, the beauty of the animation. It's almost like a... I feel like The Bad Batch was almost like a primer for the whole season. Like, for those of us who had watched it before, because it's like, okay, we're kind of back in something that's familiar, but look at how amazing it looks. And you're just like, oh my god. So that's really what I focused on for the most part was, you know, the little things, the little tweaks that they they added to it to make it different. And then just kind of marveling at (laughs) how far the animation has come. Yeah, and of course the bittersweet rescue of Echo. You know, we never get to find out what happens with Echo Later on in the series, I mean, we have to assume that all of the Bad Batch and Echo were subject to Order 66, but we kind of don't know. There so. supposed to be one more arc with them. Um, it would have been on Kashyyyk, and they'd be teaming up with the Wookiees, and we would have seen uh, Echo in his arc trooper uniform again, working with Bad Batch. Um, it was in one of the unfinished arcs, and I think there's a couple animatics of those somewhere. They showcased them in the unfinished Clone Wars panel story thingy in celebration a couple years ago Mm. but i like the bad batch too yeah i (laughs) yeah like echo could have come to a really messy end a really like tragic tragic end and it would have fit into the mood of the whole story so i'm really glad that he didn't i was sort of expecting it to i was expecting it to be like we found our friend and then it's just like this tragic foreshadowing of the rest of (laughs) the next couple weeks ahead of them but i I like the way they resolved it i just want a bad batch miniseries now i feel like that could be a total spinoff i mean yeah you kind of have to play with the timing there but i feel like there's some stories there that you could tell and kind of the way that echo would be kind of like added into the team you know what i mean like his abilities versus everyone else's and i feel like it could be a really fun little thing i mean i don't know if it could be like a Maybe like a four issue comic thing, but it would just be fun to follow. It would work good as a comic. Yeah. 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 For me, like the most important thing about it was actually Rex's story. This was Rex and Ahsoka's season, and it needed to be Rex and Ahsoka's season because there are three main characters Rex, Ahsoka, and Anakin. And the entire story revolves around the three of them. And we know how Anakin's stories end, and we know and we see how Anakin's stories end, but we didn't know Rex and Ahsoka's. So Bad Batch was really about Rex learning how to let go. Because when it comes time for Order 66, he has to let go of everything. So he, it's kind of like a trial era of him learning how to let go of just one of his brothers when he's about to let go of everybody else. And which is nice for when we get to Ahsoka's walkabout, because then Ahsoka gets, we get to touch base with her for the two of them to come together in Siege of Mandalore. Like, this is their season. Everything is about them this season. And the, all three arcs revolve around the two of them. And... I've seen it also called the Anakin Skywalker Goodbye Tour by (laughs) one of my favorite podcast Sky Talkers. And it's true because this is a very, to me, like what made this season so good is Revenge of the Sith is hanging over everyone's heads. But it's hanging over us as an audience, not the actual characters. And which was one of the most beautiful things about this season, that when you watch like the Padme and Anakin scene, they don't know that it's going to probably be the last time they see each other until Coruscant. They don't know that. They just think it's another day. It's a, it's never a goodbye. It's always, I'll see you later. And then when you get to something like Siege of Mandalore, the I see you later with Ahsoka and Anakin is when they see each other again on Malachor and Rebels and he's Vader. 
there is no goodbye, which is the most beautiful thing about this. But I know we're talking a lot about Echo, but we can't undermine Rex's story in this first arc because it is about him. It is about his trust, not only in his own instincts, but his trust in his brothers and how that is all just about to shatter in the episode Shattered. (laughs) Yeah, he really drives that mission, his belief that Echo is still there and can be saved, which is, I mean, you could say that mirrors Luke's belief that Vader could be saved or that his father could be saved. You know, it's always been one of those themes of Star Wars is the belief in redemption or the, I guess the belief in that, that someone can be saved and that there is always hope, right? And it's even more tragic because, you know, you've got Anakin is the one that's really championing this whole mission. He's the one that's basically telling Obi-Wan, hey, don't worry, we, we got it. We're going to handle this. Which makes it even more tragic because he's the one that ends up not saving anyone by the end of it. He ends up killing everyone. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The the Anakin Obi Wan stuff was so good. Like what little of it there was this season. Oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. that that moment where Obi Wan is just like, "Tell Padme I said hello." They both know. It's like that scene in Friends where it's like, "They know that we know that they know that we know." <laughs> <laughs> But the yeah. thing, the, the tragedy of it is, and this goes to Ahsoka too later on in the Siege of Mandalore, is Ahsoka and Anakin both love Obi-Wan very much, but he's so tied into the Jedi's dogmatic ways that they can't trust him anymore because they don't trust the Order as a whole, and it's the not trusting the community versus the individual because you know if they went to Obi-Wan as a friend and as an individual, Obi-Wan loves them. And he, he would do what he could for them, but there's always still that moment where he's like, well, I have to consult the council. And not yeah. just, I am your friend, I am here. And that's what makes it so sad, because Anakin can't go to his oldest friend, but it's equally just a great moment where he's like, Rex, keep watch for me. And Rex is like, I don't know how to do normal things. I'm a wingman, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, we'll get to more of the Siege of Mandalore after we talk about uh, the I think it's called the Ahsoka walkabout arc by people who know what they're talking about. I still think of it as the Martez sisters arc. And once again, let's go with you, Chris. How did you like this arc? How did you like these two scrappy Martez sisters and Ahsoka kind of finding her way again after being so lost after she left the Jedi Order? I was enjoying it because it sort of settled in to a very... And this might sound like a criticism, but it's not, but almost kind of like a banal Clone Wars arc, like a regular old Clone Wars arc, you know, Ahsoka's meeting some friends and, you know, there's the dynamic of their experience with the Jedi and that she's a Jedi but doesn't want to tell them and friendship and jealousy and and all that. And then they, they mix it up in a story with just very interesting, like crime lord dynamics and like the aliens designs are very interesting and their world is very it's just very visually appealing and it just sort of lulls you into this sort of false sense of security that you're just sort of like i'm watching clone wars (laughs) and it's just gonna keep going but all the time still notching up on the gloom and giving you a couple touchstones here and there of like what the timeline is of what is happening in episode three so you sort of know how close you're getting to when the space kaka hits this digital space fan and i liked it a lot i think this was the the weakest part of the season if you're gonna quantify a weakest part is just sort of the rest of the season seemed to be like a series of earned payoffs whereas this one had to do 
legwork of actually it was developing something for the story it, further on. It did something this, that has part. never been done in Clone Wars, which is really dig into character work, which is not Clone Wars' strong point. This arc felt very Rebels to me. It felt like I was watching a four episodes of Rebels, not four episodes of Clone Wars, because Rebels is very good about doing character work in a bigger story, while Clone Wars has always been about, here's plot, and the characters develop as, through the plot, which is a very different kind of storytelling. And I think, I, I forgot who framed it, it might have been Star Wars Explained, but he brought up a really good point that Bad Batch and Ahsoka's walkabout were never supposed to be in a final season. They were supposed to be like end of season six, the second half of season six, for then to be a season after it. They were never supposed to be these final stories. They, of course, did a lot of work for Bad Batch to try and reframe it to be more Rex-centric when it wasn't originally very Rex-centric to get those emotional touchstones. And same thing with Ahsoka's Walkabout. They reformed a whole thing. Trace and Rafa took the place of a character named Nixokami, who was supposed to be this love interest for Ahsoka, and they had to kind of completely rework that to put Ahsoka in a position for Siege of Mandalore. And that, to me, was probably the only real gripe that I had about it, was I feel like Siege of Mandalore took away a lot of what Ahsoka's Walkabout could be. Because as much as I love Ursa Ren and Bo-Katan, the moment they show up in this arc kind of takes away from the story being told with the Martez sisters and Ahsoka. And... That's why I feel like the first two episodes to me are the strongest because they're very Rebels. They're very Ahsoka-centric and they're really exploring where she is right now as a character because there's a great moment where like Trace is like, yeah, the Jedi suck and you see Ahsoka open her mouth and then close her mouth and look away like, yeah, they do. (laughs) And it's her coming to terms with that. But like, I I felt like the fourth episode was the weakest because it fell back on a very traditional Clone Wars ending it was the one thing I was fearing because I really wanted episode three to end with them finding out Ahsoka as a Jedi. And that way Trace and Rafa would have all of episode four to come to terms with this and grapple with it. But instead they find out so late in episode four where it's like, well, there's two minutes left in the episode. I guess we're cool that you lied for us for three episodes, freaking <laughs> episodes. I don't remember if we can swear on here. I don't remember. Um, uh, you lied to us for three episodes, but there's two minutes left and you're leaving with this Bo-Katan lady. Bye. Which is just maddening to me because I've seen them do such good storytelling and rebels for them to fall back on a very Clone Wars ending. And that was the most disappointing part. But for me, I I loved Trace and Rafa. I love the fact that Ahsoka, for the first time, was talking with people who have nothing to do with Jedi, especially women, because all the women that she's ever interacted with so far in the season were either tied to the war or they were Jedi. And this is the first time that she's actually been with normal people who's not Padme. (laughs) And even then, Padme's tied to Anakin and is in the war and stuff like that. It was such a good look of the slice of life of Coruscant and how and why the Jedi are completely failing, but through the point of view of normal people. Like, when they tell the story of their parents dying and a Jedi comes in and they describe the Jedi, the moment I realized it was Luminara, I was like, this was the worst choice because Luminara (laughs) is the Jedi who said, oh, my Padawan's dying on Geonosis? That's fine. May the Force be with you. And it's, it just shows how disconnected they are. And that's why the arc is so good and so important. 
I just wish it was executed better because it could have been really, really well executed. But they fell back on those Clone Wars tropes, and Siege of Mandalore really stole a lot of the legs out from Ahsoka's walkabout. Yeah, I found... The things that I liked about it were, were similar things. The fact that it was just a couple of regular folks. I mean, I'm sure we've talked about it before that my favorite Star Wars character has always been Han Solo because he's just a regular person, you know. He doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a regular dude. He messes up all the time. He's always wrong about things, you know. He's He has these opinions and he's always getting proven wrong. And so I've always related to that Han Solo side of things, the regular person side of things. And so I, and I saw a lot of Han in Rafa especially. And Trace, I even saw a little bit of Luke in Trace. She was like the wide-eyed kid that just wanted to go out and explore the galaxy, which is exactly what Luke is when we first met him. So I really enjoyed that arc from that point of view of just getting to get down onto that more ground-level side of, of the galaxy. Robbie, you were a bit less of a fan of it than I was, but looking back on it, how do you think about that Mate Sisters arc? One of the things that I really do like about it is, I don't know if you guys ever read the Legends Kenobi book, but... One of my favorite things in that book was the idea that, you know, Kenobi walks into this bar on Tatooine and there's the holonet, I think, is on. And they're talking about all of this stuff about the galaxy or whatever. And then you hear all the people in the bar, just regular people, you hear their opinions of the rest of the, you know, oh, well, the Jedi were just a bunch of blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And you get to hear the normal person in the galaxy, their ideas of what is going on in the stories we know and love and it's their opinions and it's that's one of my favorite things is is being able to see that so even though i'm not a huge fan of how i mean this is just a critical thing for me but i feel like the voice work for rafa and trace was a little off almost like it was like cut up from a couple of different recordings it just felt weird to me never really felt natural but i really appreciate you know what they were trying to do there there might have been a lot of retooling to get it all to fit the way they wanted it and but switching like, around of things. Appreciate they might it. have brought them back for new recording sessions, too, and it sounded slightly different, had a different mic or something. Yep. I know Elizabeth Rodriguez, who voices Rafa, she's in another show that's currently filming right now, but I can't remember what show. So they probably had her in different recording sessions. Yeah, I thought a lot of her line deliveries were very natural, and I thought she was actually a cut above. Maybe that's partly my my uh, bias toward being a fan of Rafa as a character, but one of the reasons that Elizabeth Rodriguez's performance stuck out is that she felt like she was just playing it as a person and not playing it as a cartoon voice artist. You know, a lot of the others, I mean, I love Matt Lanter's Anakin, but he plays it as a cartoon Anakin and... You know, you can say that about a lot of the act, voice actors on the show, and it's not that I prefer one over the other, but it was noticeable as well. Way back in season one, the guy, what's the guy's name? He played Spike on Buffy, and he came in just for that one role, playing the bad blonde. That was when. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Gosh, uh, it, James Marsters? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I remember seeing that episode. I didn't know who had done it, but I remember hearing that and going, man, whoever's playing that bit part role. That is someone who knows what they're doing, and then you look it up, and it's a very accomplished actor. And I don't want this to come across as, as me being negative about people who are voice actors first and foremost, but there's something about when they get these other actors that do more live-action stuff that they, their performances are just more natural somehow. And So I really liked what Elizabeth Rodriguez did, but we don't want to run out of time here. We want to get on to... We've already talked a little bit about it, but we want to get back to the Siege of Mandalore arc, the way that... Season seven finishes with these four episodes. I mean, if that's if we're being honest here, that's what everybody was watching the season for. Yeah. <laughs> if we're yeah. being yeah. honest here, that's 
This season was made for Siege of Mandalore, and you can tell because it's completely different. Like, even the animation for the last four episodes feels like it's made completely different from the previous animation of the previous eight. Like, this is what this season was made for. It was made for Siege of Mandalore, and the other eight episodes was just all lead up just to kind of fill in the season. I would have just been happy if they just released Siege of Mandalore, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it was very sweet. And this is another case of, I mean, this is generally the case because Hope has Geeky Girl experience and because you have been putting out your reactions on the YouTube channel. I know a lot more about what you felt about this arc than Chris. So let's go <laughs> again to Chris. You're so hilarious. I remember the first one that I saw of yours. I thought, I'm going to write down a couple of these quotes. And within the first four minutes, it was just. It was four minutes and it was already probably my favorite YouTube episode of 2020 that I've, I've seen. Just the mall, 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 mall. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I mean, I'm part of a group of movie nerds who sort of look down on reaction videos and I always argue back at them because I love them. You know, I'll watch reaction videos, way too many of them. And so getting to watch, you know, someone who I'm already a fan of rather than just a random person, getting to watch Hope do them has been an extra special bonus thing but let's go to chris how did you uh like this final four episodes of the clone wars chris i loved it i mean instantly they just completely signified to you that they're doing something different they use you know the old school introduction to it no platitudes eerie music and just the look of it looked like they basically doubled the budget on each episode and, and put it right up to the level of, like, movie level of CG. So you knew that this was going to be a lot more planned out. And it was really, like, I'm still working during COVID, so, like, this was coming out after a 12-hour day at work, so I would come home and I'd be like, oh, my man, there's a Clone Wars episode waiting for me. And when I watched the first episode of Siege of Mandalore, I was exhausted by the end. It was amazing. But I was like, oh, my God, how did they pack that much story payoff in that and make it work and just that much emotional energy into one episode? And we're only we're a quarter of the way through this story. Holy cow. This is bound to be going up in intensity. (laughs) And it did not disappoint each episode I had to like, I started watching episodes the next day or the after I'd had a chance to rest so I could be sit down and fully digest it because of the prequel trilogy, episode three is my favorite. And like, I remember sitting in a theater and like episode three was really fun at the beginning, but it started getting really intense towards the end. And I was really getting wrapped up in the emotional aspect of it. You know, I was actually in episode three part of me was like rooting for Anakin not to fall to the to Palpatine and you know everybody knows that's not going to happen so I think this did a better job of capturing that energy and running it alongside episode three this I'd almost like to run this right along with episode three to see how they planned it out but as it was going on it just filled with dread and I got to say that the way they ended it is one of the most perfect endings for a TV show series I've ever seen. One you know, it's it's up is... there with Breaking Bad for me as like, wow, they really uh, they nailed that. <laughs> that yeah, that like worked 100 percent. 
one of my favorite things is people have already been started making fan edits where they're lining up scenes from Clone Wars with episode three. Like in the scene after they get Maul and they hand him over, like Ahsoka goes to talk to the council and like Mace Windu and Yoda's there. And somebody like lined that up scene up and she missed talking to Anakin by seconds. Because like Anakin's in the scene with Mace Windu and uh, Yoda and Aya Sakura and Kiyani Mundi, and he's like, okay, I want to go do this thing, and Mace is like, okay, and he walks out, and then you have the scenes of Mace talking both in Clone Wars and in Revenge of the Sith, making the same facial expressions, Yoda is turning his head the exact same way, and like closing his eyes when he needs to close, and he just missed, she missed talking to Anakin by maybe about 15 seconds, and which is so heartbreaking. <laughs> The fan edits now have just been so good. My favorite is somebody took the Ahsoka Maul fight and put Duel the Face under it. It's so good. Yeah, I don't even... When I was introducing this section, I thought, wait, is this the Siege of Mandalore? Because I don't even think of the Siege of Mandalore when I look back on it. I think of Ahsoka and Maul as this personal kind of one-on-one thing. And, of course, the other thing I think of is the Order 66 part of it. And so the sort of actual Siege of Mandalore, that battle, it's really pushed into the background compared to the personal battles that take place. Siege of my feelings. Yeah. (laughs) How do you look back on that, Robbie? I mean, we gave just about every episode 10 out of 10, didn't we? Or four out of four on your scale. I'm sure it only improves when you look back on it. Well, it's, I think the weird thing that, especially now I think back, you know, when we watched the first season of The Mandalore, or The Mandalore, The Mandalorian, they talk about the Night of a Thousand Tears, which was kind of a new thing. I thought that was introduced there because I thought we were going to see that in the Clone Wars. And I was thinking, for some reason, I had this vision in my head of Order 66 going down. And then you seeing kind of the assault on every planet. I mean, and I'm talking about just on normal people. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know what I had in my head at the time. Because the whole thing about the Night of a Thousand Tears is that it's... An eventful, I'm reading this off of the Wikipedia thing, an eventful part of the Siege of Mandalore in 19 BBY in which gunships outfitted with heavy repeating blasters attack fields occupied by Mandalorian recruits. So I felt like, since Dave was part of the Mandalorian, I feel like he dropped that so he could use it, but then we didn't get it. So I I was always kind of expecting that. But anyway, I was curious to hear what you guys thought about that. But anyway, just uh, for me, I mean, it's just... It is movie quality. To me, it's, it's the best since the original trilogy, probably. I mean, I probably still need time to kind of let it sit and stew in my head, but I feel like it's, it ranks right up there with the, the original trilogy for me. It's amazing. Have you actually rewatched it, or tried, rewatched all four of them back to back to back, how they were designed yet? We talked about this on our last episode that we wanted to, but I haven't had time yet, have you? I haven't either. I haven't had time either. And I'm waiting for my wife because she hasn't seen him at all yet. So I'm really, it's going to be fun to kind of experience that through her eyes too. Yeah, I think I think of particular moments. I mean, obviously, Ahsoka facing off with Maul is one. The one that I often think back to when I think of that entire arc, for some reason, is Ahsoka standing up there in the girders, up there in the trusses of that dome, looking up through the hole just after she's captured Maul. Yeah. For some reason, we've seen that dome so many times, but there's these weird things that stick in my brain like, Hey, of course that dome has girders and an actual structure under it. Maybe it's because I'm a builder and I think of these <laughs> things different, but it's weird these images. Are there any particular images that have stuck with you from that whole four episode arc, Chris? Oh, for sure. That image is like 
the iconic one. One, because it just followed one of the best lightsaber fights ever. But, um, I mean, obviously, like, the very last shot <laughs> scene yeah. of this, the that last sequence is just this perfect encapsulation of the whole thing before. And I kept watching each episode and, like, say, like, you got, I kept thinking, that's a 10 out of 10. And then <laughs> after the second one, I'm thinking, well, you know, these are all seeming like 10 out of 10, but it's still the way it's going. It's going to depend on how they end it. It's going to depend on the fourth one. The fourth one could mess up the other three or, 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 you know, continue on and cap it off perfectly, which it did. And that part in the lead up to it with Rex and Ahsoka racing to the planet and Rex trying to get Ahsoka into his ship is one of the best Star Wars action sequences like that action sequence for the you know the drama of it plus just the physical depiction of an action scene like in a star wars movie is i mean there's nothing to compare of it with it in say the the last trilogy the the disney trilogy you know there's action sequences but this one has that physical feel of you know she'll grab onto the edge of the cockpit and then get stripped away from it and you know there's always just another thing blocking her that she has to get over and you're fully aware of the space that they're in and uh i mean it was breathtaking to watch it makes me wish that i had a home theater system you know i mean this is definitely a wish but i mean if it wasn't pandemic days this would be the kind of thing you could probably sell theater seats if you played all four of these in a row on a big screen in a theater. Oh, yeah. I would be there with big tub of popcorn ready, just waiting for that sequence of the ship crashing. This final arc did a really good job of showing that you can tell a really good prequel story. Because the thing about prequel stories is is we, we know how it ends. Like, we know Anakin's going to be Vader. We know that Ahsoka and Rex both live to Rebels. We all know this. But it's the way that they showed that why the journey is so important, not the final destination, it's the journey that's the important side. And they were still able to tell such a compelling story just by... We, I knew Ahsoka and Rex lived, but that didn't mean like I was, I was, I mean, Bucho watched me scream and cry. <laughs> I was <laughs> on the edge of my seat through all four episodes. So. Yeah, it, it, even though I knew it was it was a story of how and they showed how you tell a story is so compelling. And for me, this arc, just from the beginning, the callbacks to the Clone Wars movie, the first episode alone has multiple callbacks to the Clone Wars movie, which is just so fitting because the series started with a movie and it ends with a movie pretty much. And you have, like, the whole fight on the bridge is mirroring the Battle of Christophsis, and Anakin is in the Obi-Wan role, and then Ahsoka comes off the ship just the same way she did that, and she's reunited with Rex, like, the first time she meets Rex, only it's different mm -hmm. because now there's not a power imbalance anymore, they're equals now. And the whole thing is so good, and then you have these just, these touchstones to Revenge of the Sith, and just how little things, like, the conversations with Ahsoka and Obi-Wan are so good for the multiple conversations that they have. And I just love the whole, like, you're not being fair. I'm not trying to be conversation. That is just so good. Such a good conversation. And then the other thing that I really loved, uh, other than, like, everything else, um, but kind of just in general, I loved what this final season did for Solo. It added 
so mm. much to Solo, being able to see Dryden Voss there, knowing that I didn't even think that Crimson Dawn was around until it was first mentioned in the in the Ghost Walkabout art. I was like, wait, they're around now, and Maul's playing it like, oh, look out, Shadow Collective, because Crimson Dawn's gonna steal you, even though I'm in charge of that. But you know that it's I know that you know that I know. <laughs> <laughs> just I, yeah, I loved what this did to build on. I, I, there were multiple times watching the season where I just stopped and I was like, I need to watch Solo again. Because this is just adding so much to that, and also the rebels connections, being able to see stuff like Gar Saxon and Ursa Wren. And it was kind of funny because we've been doing the Mandalore episodes of Rebels, and me and Chris are like, oh, well, we see why Bo Katan and Ursa Wren are friends because it's here in Clone Wars. They just lined up perfectly. Like Sabine trying to get Bo to take power in Rebels is the exact same way Ahsoka tries to get Bo to take power in Clone Wars. It's just, it's poetry, it rhymes. And it's, ah, oh, and the, the fight. I felt like I was in the theater again watching Ray Park as Maul. Because it was. Yeah. It was Ray Park motion capturing. And I want to also note that Lauren Mary Kim was doing the motion capturing for Ahsoka. And that was such an amazing fight. I felt like a child again. Because The Phantom Menace was my first Star Wars movie I saw in theaters. So it has like a really big impression on me. And I felt like it was just like little things. It felt more grounded than a normal Clone Wars fight where they're parkouring off of everything and they're like flipping and things. It was a grounded fight. They were one-on-one and it felt real that it was actually, it felt like there were two people during the fight because there was, and it was just so good. (laughs) And the final shot was just so Rebels. It felt like the prequel to Twilight of the Apprentice. To see Morai, actually, hold on. Have you? Where are you guys on Rebels, Butcher? Have you watched Rebels? Where are you guys? <laughs> I've watched the first five episodes, and and I'm uh, listening to Jay goes and Jedi along with it. I will say the bird that Vader looks at is important. I won't say anything <laughs> else. <laughs> but the it felt like the prequel to Twilight of the Apprentice, um, which is a season two episode of Rebels. I won't go anything past that. Um, but it was amazing, and just, I think something that the show did so well just as a whole was highlight the clones, because in the movies, they were just these nameless, faceless background characters, but the whole purpose of this show was to show that they're individuals. Yes. They're not stormtroopers bleached of personality, they're not first order troopers who are killed for individuality, they have personality, and they're people... And then you just see them get switched. Like, that's why it's so heartbreaking to me to see Jesse. Like, that's why I kept crying Mm -hmm. over Jesse in my reaction videos, because he was one of my favorite clones. He did not survive Umbara just to be turned into some mindless droid. And that's exactly what happened. And the whole point is, it's pointless. This is a pointless war for Palpatine. And... Oh, the Phantom Apprentice is just my favorite. The fact that Maul knew. Maul knew. And that's the crazy thing. I I, I compared it to My Little Pony. This is like the anti-My Little Pony episode. (laughs) Because love and friendship actually ruins everything. (laughs) Because Maul's right. Maul's right. And that's the crazy thing. Because he is the bad guy. No one's going to believe that he's right. But he is. And he could have actually saved the universe. And it's so crazy. And I love it. And the way Walt well, exits in this is so very Star Wars. Like, you have this whole big drama with Maul, and then when he gets a ship, he's just like, all right, and he's gone, and it's done. Yeah. It's so Star Wars. It's just like, that's 
awesome. It's very Grievy-like. I love his line. He says to Ahsoka when she's trying to stop him, hey, you wanted all this chaos. Now you got it. Now you're having to deal with it. You let me go for a reason. The Maul Walk of Carnage, which is very Rogue One. It is the Vader Rogue yeah. One scene. Yeah. Sorry, Robbie, you keep getting cut off. What were you about to say, buddy? Uh, I was just going to say the uh, something that Chris said that I'm kind of like, I'm reliving the my thoughts watching the show. And he made me just realize something. And it's I guess I was just playing back in my head. What he said was that I felt like the first two arcs were very, I, I looked at them very almost clinically. Like, oh, a new show. I have to watch this. I have to process it. I have to write notes. I have to do, you know what I mean? But yeah. the first episode of The Siege of Mandalore, and especially when I saw R2, it's like all of that got switched off, and I was just a fan again. I was just a Star Wars fan watching this. And for me, R2 is the most slighted character in the prequel tri- in the sequel trilogy. Sorry. And to see him with stuff to do is awesome. And then when he, almost like a little puppy, is so excited to see Ahsoka and rolls up to her, I lost it. That's one of the scenes that is most memorable for me, I guess. It's like coming home. It's just beautiful. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clone Wars, the series, is we're hoping I cemented the whole thing that R2 is the hinge point of all of Star Wars. I mean, R2 always has plenty to do in Clone Wars. Yeah. He saved the day so many times. In both the original trilogy and in Clone Wars. Yeah. Actually, all, all the droids were. I mean, just that moment where the droids are so happy to help Ahsoka. And yeah. they were all just like a bunch of little puppies like running up to her. Just like, what can we do to help you? I actually just kept hearing Leia's voice from Tross just saying, like, never doubt a droid. Because, and, and that's the line I kept thinking about was these, the, I would say like it's the mildest of gripes. But R7, the little one that looks like R2 that was helping Ahsoka, that's actually been Ahsoka's droid since season two. And the mildest of gripes is I wish they just used R7 a little bit more over the course of the series just to build that bond Mm -hmm. a little bit more. But it's the mildest of gripes. So when R7 is shot, like it means more. Because I was like, when I was looking up and writing my reviews, I was looking up the character and I was like, what do you mean this character's been here since season two? What? (laughs) And I yeah. completely forgot. And I was like, oh, yeah, R7 was in these episodes. So that that would have been nice. But that's the tiniest of drapes. But the droids were just so important because ever since L3 and Solo, like there's been this shifting conversation more and more about droids and their importance and why they're important. And there's a reason we get connected to them. There's a reason we love BBA. There's a reason we love R2. There's a reason we love K2SO and L3 and... And I, I've really, really fallen in love with CB23 from Resistance. She is the MVP of that show. <laughs> all, we, and, all we can determine from the Star Wars AI is like their personality and loyalty AI is when it's really good. If you got good personality and loyalty AI in your robot, it might as well be a person. It might as well be like your best friend. Uh, they're like a super intelligent dog. <laughs> yeah. Can I, I want to ask a general question. I've seen this floating around and I've been debating this with a couple of my friends. In the final scene when Anakin picks up the lightsabers, I've seen people interpret that as he's so far gone he doesn't care. I personally interpret it as being he's incredibly sad because he's not fully Vader yet. Um, and I'm basing that in the Pearl Souls comics. What are your guys' thoughts? Because I, I feel like when he 
he literally just gave those to her three episodes prior. He made them blue because it's a piece of himself. And to see him holding that blue lightsaber, to me, like, I don't think he's fully Vader. I think we're supposed to be looking at Anakin in that scene and what a tragedy he's become. But I've seen it interpreted so many different ways. So what are you guys' final thoughts about that scene? I think the the first question that I keep asking myself is, when is this? You know, is yeah. it is it a year later? Is it three weeks later? Is it, I mean, let's be honest, it could be after Rebels. We don't that's know. True. I mean, it could oh. be any time. <laughs> and that's, that's the That's absolutely true. And that's I mean, beautiful. They, they obviously make time, they said time has passed because there's snow on the ground. Right. And, and stuff like that. I mean, in my mind, I was picturing him being a fresh, open wound Anakin Vader. But, like, I don't know. I think Re- Return of the Jedi basically could put forth the argument that he never was completely Vader. Right. You know, and Luke was the one who finally, like, made the argument to him. But, um, well, see, this is one of the things that I always looked at with Vader. When you look at Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, right? When he goes to Mustafar to wipe out all the Separatists, he's got the evil Sith eyes almost, right? And he's almost like a robotic, you know, just death machine, right? But yep. then the next time you see him, he's standing by the ledge or whatever, and he's crying. And then, if you think about Return of the Jedi, one of the things that I think about is when, okay, so when he's talking to Luke on that, I guess that platform in between the, the AT-AT and the, you know what I'm talking about? that one scene yeah. where they're kind yeah, of talking yeah. and he he turns and he goes you don't know the power of the dark side it's almost like he's fighting it right then yeah and it's just one of those beautiful things about the way that this story you know flows like before there was always a separation between the prequels and the original trilogy and the sequels i see it as one big story now now more than ever And Clone Wars, what I loved about it, like you said, Hope, is that it's tying in some of these other pieces of the, the, you know, ties in some Rogue One stuff. Here, let's throw in some Solo stuff. And it makes that galaxy feel huge. So it's one big story. And I feel like Anakin was conflicted the entire time, which makes it even more sad that quick shot of Anakin's face before he ignites the saber with the kids. Look at his face and tell me that Hayden Christensen wasn't doing everything he could. I think the dude, I think a lot of people don't give him enough credit. Oh yeah, I I totally agree. One of my favorite pieces I really actively tell people to read is the Charles Soule Darth Vader run. Because Mm -hmm. the entire run is like 26 issues of Anakin learning to let go of Anakin and fully embrace being Vader. And the, the entire time it's a struggle for him because... He just can't let go of his past. The entire final arc is about saving Padme and he's reliving everything. And it's so tragic because the whole time you can tell it's Anakin there just trying to figure out what even being a Vader means. And then the other thing that uh, that made me think while you're talking, and I wouldn't say this is required reading, but it's very interesting in the book Thrawn Alliances, we get points from Vader's point of view. And he has to actively work to not remember things about being Anakin. And he actually refers to Anakin as being the Jedi. And those are not his memories. They're the Jedi's memories. And Mm. it's active work that he has to put in to, like, not 
tie himself as Vader to his past. And so when he's talking to Thrawn, and Thrawn's just like, oh, you're Anakin Skywalker. Um, <laughs> it's like, no, those are the Jedi's memories. They're not my memories. But he has to put so much work into not being that. And it's a trial for him. It's never easy to the point where he's having to force himself to pretty much create an entire separate personality. Yeah, I mean, like, Luke telling when Vader was like, you don't know the power of the dark side, it's like a kid trying to take his father's drugs away from him, you know, his drug addict father's drugs, and the father said, you don't know what's, you know, it's the same. And then when Vader's saying, you know, look, we can defeat the Emperor and rule the galaxy together, that's probably Vader thinking to himself, I could make something good out of this <laughs> yeah. you know possibly or you know basically fooling himself but you know that's sort of a bit of anakin thinking going in there so i tend to think though that that whole end scene was fairly fresh or they they wanted you to feel that way just with the whole thing of with him disappearing in the reflection Oh, that's such a beautiful final shot. There's so much layered meaning in that shot. Right, right. And it seemed like something that would be, like, appropriate, like, fairly... And plus, like, Vader was looking very, like, slim and and trim, you know? Like, by, like, Rogue One, he looks... And Star Wars, he's he's put on a little dad weight, you know? And, uh... (laughs) So, so it looked like a, it looked like a fre- fresh Chris. Even, although his it's his face did look like he'd been wearing his face mask for a while. So, I don't know. I, I'm definitely when I watch it again, I'm going to be thinking about like, could this be like years later? Yeah. I just figured it was very soon after the events of the previous scene because the lightsaber was right on the surface of the snow. You know, the lightsaber wasn't buried. If it had been a long, long time ago, the lightsaber wouldn't have been there on the surface. Although the last helmet was only just barely popping up above the snow, so I don't know. Why was the lightsaber on the surface? Is there an answer to that? If there is, you have to tune into J Guys and Jedi when they cover <laughs> this and what is it gonna be? Maybe three months, four months, something like that, because we've got to bring this one in for a landing. We need to remind the troops where else they can find Hope and Chris. We have the J Guys and Jedi Twitter account, which is run by Hope at J Guys and Jedi. We have the Two True Freaks Cantina on Facebook. Hope you have your Geeky Girl Experience website. You are at Hope Mullinax on Twitter. That's H O P E M U L L I N A X. And you have Hope Mullinax on YouTube. Is there anywhere else that listeners slash readers can find you? I know um, part of Geeky Girl Experience, we have a side podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> where I'm making Chris watch all my favorite animated shows because I finally figured out my brand with Geeky Girl Experience. It's animation and gay stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> it's great. When we were doing Clone Wars and now Rebels, I always reference all these other shows like Gravity Falls and Steven Universe and She-Ra. And I'm finally getting Chris to sit down and, and watch them. So right now we are doing Gravity Falls, which has been a lot of fun. Taking it's Chris fun, yeah. Falls. It's it makes it sound like she's forcing me to watch these things against my will, but like, <laughs> for the, when we get to My Little Pony, we'll see how I feel at that point. You my know? Little Pony is if I completely run out of anything else to do. I have about seven <laughs> shows before we get to that, so you're going to be okay for several years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, good. That's my last, like, oh, I well, have nothing who knows where I'll be in se- you know, who knows where I'll be in seven years? I might be just perfectly ready for My Little Pony seven years maybe, from now. Maybe. Who knows? You never <laughs> but- know. 
say I also write fanfiction on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia, and I actually recently just did a piece for Callus and Zeb Appreciation Week called Shinkyo, that it was a collaboration piece with my friend June. She did the artwork and I wrote the stories, so I've written a lot of Rebels pieces over there. A handful of Clone Wars, but mostly Rebels so far over there, so... It makes sense that you'd be doing a lot of Rebel stuff because that's what J-Guys and Jedi are right in the middle of at the moment. Chris, you did take more of a man of mystery approach to social media, right? So aside from any emails written into J-Guys and Jedi, is there any other mode of contact by which your listeners slash fans can reach you? <laughs> well, I am, the, I am the supreme leader of the twotruefreaks.com website where we hold all our stuff. But if you if you hang around those Facebook Two True Freaks groups you'll suss out who i am pretty quickly <laughs> or not maybe <laughs> the man and of course robbie's new online home base is order 42 show on twitch you can follow at order underscore 42 on twitter how's it going over there it's going well i feel like we're getting our like a groove going and uh i mean even though it's almost been like a game chasers movie hype channel for the last <laughs> for the last two or three weeks right now we're going to be getting into more of a focus on people like leon who's you know who's a special effects guy who, who worked on game of thrones and worked on maleficent 2 and all the way back to dark shadows i mean the guy has an amazing career and and then gosh peter who was the director of photography he's a an independent film director and I mean, he's been doing some great stuff here in Texas. So, I mean, it's a cool show. It's it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, hopefully people like it. Yes, sir. And as we wrap up, of course, I'd like to say thank you once again to our buddy DT for the logos that we've worn proudly on this mission. And I'd like to say thank you to all the troops who've ridden with us on this mission, whether you've been long for the entire ride or just some part of it. Thanks for making us a part of your own Clone Wars adventure. Special thanks to Dinah Kenobi, who dropped a nice five-star review on iTunes saying, Refreshing as a cup of Jawa juice for the soul. And I would wholeheartedly recommend that if any of you troops out there are going to launch on a Rebels mission like I have, you jump on board with Hope and Chris like I have at J-Guys and Jedi. I want to know one thing about J-Guys and Jedi, if you're watching Rebels, we're from the point of view of people who have already seen the show. So we are talking spoilers as we're covering Rebels. So like we'll be like, oh, this thing in Season 1 comes back in Season 4. Yeah, sure. So if you're watching Rebels for the first time, I will let you know that we are covering Rebels as people who have already seen Rebels. So just be aware they're... There will yep. be spoilers. I, I do really want to note that. And we'll also warn you, Bucho, if you're listening to us. Now, I already know how you guys roll, and I made peace with that, you know, back when I would, you know, listen to your episodes uh, on the Clone Wars. And so I thought, uh, you know, I don't care that much about spoilers. Like you said in this episode, during this discussion, it's about the journey. So I'm happy to uh, take that ride with you guys. So... This is your old buddy Bucho alongside Open Chris from J Guys and Jedi and your trusty pal Robbie from the Order 42 show and we are out. Bye. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. Force will be with you. Always. Uh, one other thing. I killed Maul once. Best to capture him. He doesn't seem to stay dead.
Thanks for the support. As always. That's what friends are for. If you're gonna face Maul, you'll need these. Capture Maul, I'll take care of Grievous. With any luck, this will all be over soon. Master Kenobi always said there's no such thing as luck. Good thing I taught you otherwise. Anakin. Good luck. <laughs>